Turn with me, please. Chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians. I, I preached this message today. I'm going to give you the title. The title today from our text that we're about to read is How to Properly Treat Those in Spiritual Leadership. How to Properly Treat Those in Spiritual Leadership. And I will go ahead and tell you and confess to you that I preach this message at the risk of sounding self-serving. But that could be no further from the truth. I preach this message not to be self-serving, but I preach this message and I preach this principle and this truth because it's in the Bible. When you think about how am I as a Christian supposed to treat those in spiritual leadership, it seems like that in many issues in the Christian life that there are two extremes and this is one of those areas where it, it, it is true that there are two extremes, and then in the middle is what I would call a biblical balance. And I think we've all seen the two extremes. There's the extreme of what I would call hero worship, where pastors, or maybe a certain pastor, or any kind of spiritual leader is so held in esteem that it's, it's inordinate. It's unreasonable. And it's, it's almost like in the minds of some that the spiritual leader, whether it be a pastor or whomever, that they almost speak ex-cathedra. That means... If it comes out of the preacher's mouth, then it must be of God. And let me say that's an extreme position. That's not biblical. Almost like that everything the pastor does or says is of an automatic sacred anointing. That's not biblical. But then there's another extreme. It's an extreme which is distrustful even of pastors and ministers and spiritual leaders. Where we're antagonistic almost. Where we view them with a great degree of suspicion. Where we're, we gossip about them. We slander them. We run them down. We're highly critical of them, almost with abandon. And we think it's okay. Or we even go so far sometimes as to intentionally mistreat them, and we dismiss it because, well, they should be used to that kind of treatment. They're supposed to be more spiritual than me. So regardless of what is said or done to them, they ought to take it and receive it and just go on. That's an extreme position. This is not biblical. 
nor is this extreme position biblical. You say, Christian, well, if these two extremes are not biblical, and probably all of us in this room have seen at least one measure of at least one of these extremes, what's biblical? How should a pastor, how should a spiritual leader, how should a minister of the gospel, how should a man of God, how should a servant of the Lord be treated? And why does it matter? Why does it matter for a local church? Why does it matter for you? Why does it matter for me that I have a proper understanding and a biblical understanding of how to properly treat Ministers of the gospel, spiritual leadership who pours and invests into my life. Why is that important? Why shouldn't I adopt one of these two extremes or float somewhere in between? Because ladies and gentlemen, I'm so thankful the Lord gives us the biblical balance mentioned here in this text and in other places. I'm going to confess something to you. I'm human just like you, and humans at times don't do well with balance. We seem to either fall to one extreme or the other about various issues. And just like a thousand other issues, I think this is one of the issues that especially in the local church, especially in the lives of Christians, we struggle at times to get right and to get nailed down and to find that biblical balance. I don't want to give you what Christian has to say on the subject. My opinion has never changed anybody's life, nor will it ever. I've said this a thousand times in the last eight years. You can take 99 cents. I used to say 99 cents and take it to McDonald's and get a cup of coffee. I'm sure it's more than that now. You can, you can put that with my opinion, <laughs> and that's what you'll get. <laughs> I don't want to give you my opinion. I want to give you what the Lord has to say. How many of you believe that what the Lord has to say on something is infinitely more important than what man has to say on it? So what does the Lord say about this? I promise you, dear one, I, I so much want to do my best and be anointed right now. I can't even describe it. And as I preach today, I ask you, I beg you, please, you pray for me. That I would be telling you exactly what the Lord wants. I realize, I believe we all as listeners give an account to the Lord for everything we hear in a church service. But I realize I have even a higher accountability. If you are responsible for how you hear and receive and obey, I know I am responsible for how I teach and preach the word. And I have on my shoulders right now, I feel a high obligation to get this right. To get the text right. And so I want you to pray for me and pray that we'll all be anointed to receive it. 
Would you look at these verses? We'll begin in verse 15, if you would, please. I beseech you, Paul said, I beg you, I urge you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. We'll meet Stephanus in just a moment. And that they, the house of Stephanus, have, notice this, this is interesting. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have committed themselves, they have glued themselves to the ministry of the saints, to blessing other people. Stephanus and his family, those, his wife, his children, they have committed themselves to bless the saints. Verse 16, I beseech you that you, here it is, you submit yourselves unto such. Very, very possibly, Stephanus was one of the leaders of the Corinthian church. Perhaps even he may have been at one time the spiritual leader, the pastor. Very well could have been that church was held in their home. And Paul says, I, I want you to submit yourselves unto such. And to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So he's talking about co-laborers, fellow laborers, fellow ministers in the gospel, fellow helpers. And he says, you submit to them. In verse 17, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Some have believed that Fortunatus and Achaicus may have even been family members or children of Stephanus. We don't know that for sure. Paul says, I'm glad that they came to me for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. They, verse 18, have refreshed my spirit and in doing so, they have refreshed yours. Therefore, acknowledge them that are such. So he says, you submit yourselves to them. Then he says, you acknowledge them. You recognize them. You acknowledge their ministry. You acknowledge their spiritual investment of time and energy and money. You, you recognize what they are seeking to do for the Lord Jesus and for the body of Christ. What does Paul mean by all this? Why is this so important? You see, in these verses, God shows us the proper way to treat and show respect for Christian leaders, Christian ministers. If I were to ask you today, or ask the common person on the street, certainly, or even the common churchgoer, how should you treat a spiritual leader? You'd get all kinds of answers. Author David Brown on this misconception of what an ideal pastor looks like. What is an ideal pastor? <laughs> he says, and I quote, the ideal pastor preaches exactly 20 minutes. <laughs> you know right off the bat, I am not ideal. He condemns sin, but he never hurts anybody's feelings. He works from eight till midnight, and he serves as the church janitor. He makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, and donates 30 of the $40 a week to the church. 
He's 29 years old, (laughs) and he has 40 years of experience. He is both tall and short, (laughs) thin and (laughs) heavyset, and has one brown eye and one blue eye. (laughs) He makes 15 house calls a day, but is always in his office studying and preparing. A stranger entered into a church in the middle of the sermon. In fact, he got there for the service late, and the pastor was already up preaching. This was a stranger. He was a visitor to the church. He didn't know much about. But so he set himself in the back, on the very back pew. And there was a, a fellow ch- or a church member sitting just, just right down from him on the back pew. And so after a while, this newcomer began to fidget in the pew. And so he leans over to the white-haired man who was sitting directly at his side, evidently an old member of the congregation. And he whispered, he said, he said, how long has he been preaching? The older man replied, oh, I suspect about 30 or 40 years. And the man said, okay, I'll stay then because surely he must be near done. (laughs) Eugene Peterson in his book, The Unnecessary Pastor, Rediscovering the Call, he said this, and I thought it was interesting. Today it seems pastors are unnecessary to what congregations insist that we must do and be as the experts who help them stay ahead of the competition. They want pastors who lead. Most congregations get their idea of what makes a pastor from the culture, not from the scriptures. They want a winner. They want their needs met. They want to be part of something zesty and glamorous. With hardly an exception, they don't want pastors at all. They want managers of their religious company. They want a pastor they can follow so they won't have to bother with following Jesus anymore. Now let me say this. Thank the Lord I know nothing of that kind of approach to church or to following biblical leadership. I have never been a part of a church where that was the mantra. To the glory of God and to the credit of you dear ones right here in this room. I don't feel that. I don't know what that's like. Thank you, Jesus. But at looking around at other congregations and other church movements, I would have to agree that that seems to be the motive of the day. I, we really don't want a spiritual leader. We want, we want a CEO. We want a mover and a shaker. We want a celebrity. Well, friend, you're not... I, I, I apologize. You don't have a celebrity here. According to management consultant Peter Drucker, who has analyzed various executive professions and positions through these decades, he said this, and I quote, Pastors are the most frustrated profession in the nation. That's interesting to me. I would, I would understand that a little bit. Martin Luther's ten qualifications for his ministers are as follows. <laughs> Number one, he should be able to teach plainly and in order. Number two, he should have a good head. 
Three, he should have good power of language. Four, he ought to have a good voice. Five, he ought to have a good memory. Six, he should know when to stop. Okay, moving on to number seven. He should be sure of what he say, means to say. Number eight, he ought to be ready to stake body and soul, goods and reputation on the truth. Number nine, he should study diligently. Number 10 is interesting. He must allow himself to be vexed and criticized by everyone. I thought that was interesting. Paul says, commending Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Archaicus, he says, I want you to acknowledge what they do for the ministry of the Lord. These three are returning from their visit with Paul. And Paul here gives special commendation to them. And he instructs the Corinthians to give them special treatment and recognition for their spiritual service and ministry. So three thoughts I leave with you this morning. If you're still with me, say amen. Truth number one, we are to show understanding, patience, and cooperation to spiritual leadership. It's interesting, we didn't read these verses earlier, but if you'll go back up to verse 10, he mentions Timothy or Timotheus. And he says now in verse 10, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. Circle that phrase in your Bible, without fear. Now, why would Timothy be intimidated by the Corinthians? Well, that's a good question. Paul says, you make sure that you receive him and that when he comes to you, that there's no reason for him to fear or to have any kind of intimidation. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man despise him. The word despise means to disrespect, to look down upon. Make sure you don't look down on him, but conduct him forth in peace. Notice that, that he may come unto me. I look for him with the brethren. So Timothy was going to come to Corinth to visit them. And, 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 and Timothy, Paul said, when Timothy gets there, you make sure that you receive him. You conduct him forth in peace. He says, don't be hostile. Don't be antagonistic toward him. Don't be suspicious of his motives. Don't be critical of his methods or his manner or his personality. Some believe that Timothy's youth was an issue. Remember, Paul mentions this in the first letter to Timothy in verse chapter 4 where he says, let no man despise or mistreat you because of your youth. Probably was a young man. Paul said, you make sure you don't look down on him because he's young. And some even speculate that because Timothy was from the city of Lystra, that his city of origin, where he was from, <laughs> could have been a contentious issue with the Corinthians. And can I say that you and I are to treat with understanding and patience and cooperation. We are to treat spiritual leaders regardless of their age, their inexperience, or even if they're unfamiliar to us. He says, you treat him well. 
No, he may not be Apollos. No, you may not know him as much as you do Cephas or Simon Peter. No, I know you know me way more than you know him, but I want you, he says, to treat him like you would treat me. Give him that same understanding and consideration and patience and cooperation. Treat them just as we would treat those spiritual leaders with whom we are well acquainted, Paul said. So number one, we're to show understanding, patience, and cooperation to spiritual leadership. Number two, the truth is, we are to recognize the investment and impact of those who labor in spiritual work. Look back down to verse 15. He says, I beseech you, brethren... He says uh, uh, they, that the house of Stephanus has addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Verse 17, I'm glad at their coming, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Archaicus. They have supplied what was lacking on your part. In other words, they ministered to me. Verse 18, they have refreshed my spirit. Therefore, acknowledge them for that. It seems that these three men were sent by the Corinthians to Paul. Then after Paul wrote the letter, Paul is sending these three men back to Corinth with this very letter that we're reading today. Paul says that these three have refreshed his spirit. They've ministered to him and they should be acknowledged and recognized for their service. Truth number three. We're to be respectful of and submissive to their biblical admonition and watch care. Now this, up to this point, many of us get all A's. But here in verse 16, we may struggle with this one. Due to the very word, the word submit, verse 16, he says, I tell you that you submit yourselves to them. It's the word hupatasso. It literally is a military term. Remember last week's message, he used military terminology. Here he uses again, he says, I want you to literally come up under the rank of a spiritual leader. Submit yourselves to them. Well, think about this. Would you quickly go to 1 Thessalonians 5? 1 Thessalonians 5, maybe this will lend clarity. I want to have you go to three passages. It's on the screen if you can't turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, Paul said, notice this, please, to know them which labor among you. The word know means to have regard or respect for. I want you to have respect for those who labor in spiritual work. It means to work, to toil to the point of fatigue and weariness. He's not talking about lazy preachers. He's not talking about lazy people or lazy workers. He's talking about people who understand their calling and who approach it in a very serious way and who expend energy and effort and who work the work of the ministry and who labor and who have dedicated. And he says... They have worn themselves out. And he says, I want you to know them. I want you to give them understanding and have regard and respect for them. These who labor among you, and notice this, are over you in the Lord. They admonish you. That means they warn, they preach, they reprove, they encourage in verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love. 
for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Adam Clark said about these verses, it means to act kindly towards spiritual leadership. Kindly. Acknowledge them as the messengers of Christ and treat them with tenderness and respect. Now go to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5 in your Bible, please. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, 18, and 19. Listen to what our Bibles say. Let the elders, circle that word, let the elders that rule well. The word elder there refers to a bishop or a pastor or someone appointed to give spiritual leadership over the flock. Let them that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And some speculate as to what the double honor is. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine or teaching. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of its reward or is higher. In other words, basically, he is saying that it is the church's obligation, the local church's obligation, to at least in some kind of a way make a gesture to take care of financially those who minister to us and labor among us. He doesn't specify. He doesn't specify amount. He doesn't specify quantity. No. That's up to each individual church and congregation. But he says, you make sure you honor them. Yes, financially even. You take care of them. By the way, by the way, church family, Thank you for taking care so well of my family and me. Let me just say that. I, I, I thank God for it. But he says, you make sure you do that. And then verse 19 is very interesting. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. A great explanation and observation was made by Adam Clark. He said, those whose business it is to correct others will usually have many more enemies than the average person. And that's true. Great caution, therefore, he said, should be used in admitting accusations against such spiritual leaders. In other words, you be careful. You be careful when you entertain an accusation or a criticism of a spiritual leader. An accusation. Don't just, yeah, 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 I knew it. I knew it about him. I knew it about her. I'll tell you what, yeah, I felt that way all along. You better be careful, he said. Don't receive that accusation unless it's at the mouth of two or three witnesses, first of all. Matthew Poole said, Paul here applies this Old Testament principle to officers in the church whose faithful discharge of their duty usually more exposes them to people's quarrelous tongues. Yes, that's true. And then one final place before we close and pray. Hebrews 13. Go ahead and turn there with me if you would, please. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. God says, remember them which have the rule 
over you. Please stop right there. Circle the word rule. You say, preacher, what does that word mean? Does it mean that the preacher is a king? Oh, dear friend, no, sir. No, ma'am. That's not what it means. The word rule there literally is the word for those who guide you. It's the word for a shepherd. It's the word for spiritual leadership. These individuals like a good shepherd, like a shepherd who are leading and guarding and shepherding your spiritual life. It's the same word. They, they, they rule over you. They have been appointed by God to help shepherd your spiritual life. These who have spoken unto you the word of God. Whose faith follow considering the end of their lifestyle, their, their, their conversation. You look at their lifestyle. Are they worthy of fellowship? Matthew Poole said, be mindful of your spiritual guides. Would you notice verse 17? Obey them that have the rule over you. Same word for shepherding. Same word for leading as in verse 17. And here in verse 17, he says, you obey them. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You and I have both seen where this has been taken to extremes where some believe that the pastor has the autonomy and has the right to infringe on even private issues of an individual's life. And that is not true, ladies and gentlemen. That is not what the Bible is teaching here. I don't have any right whatsoever to come to you and say, I've been praying about this for you, and God has told me that you need to do such and such. Well, you have every right at that point to look at your pastor or any spiritual leader and say, okay, dear brother, show it to me in book, chapter, and verse. Okay? God's not going to tell me his will for your life. And I don't try to play the Holy Spirit. But there is a sense in the Bible where God said, if that pastor is preaching the word, the word, not his opinion, the word, and he lays out spiritual principles from the word, you submit to that. Submit to that. That means you come up under. That means you and I have to give up our right. We submit to this. He says, these individuals, they watch for your souls. A group neo is the word. It means to be sleepless, to be awake for your souls, he said. They watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Hear me carefully, ladies and gentlemen. There is a sense to which I will stand before God for how I Perform God's calling on my life and how I shepherd you. I will give an account for that. 
for every one of you to a certain degree. I want to be able to give a good account. I want to be able to give an account that would honor the Lord. I want to watch God work in your life. For you to know what it is to have God's approval in God's hand on your life. Here's the takeaway. Thank you for your patience this morning. Just a handful of thoughts. Please lean in and listen carefully. Remember that spiritual leaders are human. Just like you. That's not an excuse, ladies and gentlemen, for any kind of incompetence or any kind of failure. That's not an excuse. But your pastor's not going to be perfect. You know why? Because your pastor is human like you are. You say, why are you preaching this? Because I know this, ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus tarries his coming one day, and I don't know when, I'm not, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, one day, somebody else, God willing, somebody else is going to be your pastor. That's why I'm not being self-serving with this. God wants you, God wants all of us, because one day, somebody will be my pastor, Lord willing, again. By the way, don't forget that up until the last eight years of my life, I have labored and submitted myself to pastoral leadership. Okay. Don't forget that. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. Okay. I know. I'm I'm sat where you sit. But no pastor is perfect. And you don't have to look hard to find inconsistencies and failures and scruples. You're going to find them. Please give them grace. How many of you want to be extended grace by other people around you? Raise your hand. Whoever your spiritual leader is, I can guarantee you they not only need it, they desire it at times. And if they're good intentioned, they won't misuse your grace or take advantage of it. But they're human. Seek to bless and encourage them and their family, especially their spouse and their children. You ever heard of the fishbowl syndrome? It's real. Would you like to live in a way where you can't even go to Walmart and get milk without having somebody come up to you and bust you for something that has to do with the church? Would you like to live like that? Would you like to live where when you go out to eat with your family, sometimes and many times, you get caught off guard and ransacked by somebody who may not even go to your church, but they got something to say.
the fishbowl syndrome is real. Just think about that from time to time. And sometimes the loneliest person in any local church is the spouse and the children of that pastor. Number three, be careful how you talk about them. If these verses mean anything, they mean be careful how we talk about spiritual leadership. Avoid gossip and slander. Dedicate yourself to be a prayer warrior on their behalf. There may be a lot we can't do, but one thing we can do, we can pray for our spiritual leadership. And many of you do, thank God. This final thought, don't put your focus on spiritual leadership at all. (laughs) Put your focus on Jesus. I love this passage in Matthew 17. (laughs) It's the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is there with Simon Peter, James, and John, and something miraculous takes place. (laughs) Moses and Elijah show up. I mean, it was Moses and Elijah. It wasn't a ghost or a phantom or a spirit. It was Moses and Elijah. And they show up, and they're on the mountain, and there's Moses, there's Elijah, and there's Jesus, and there's Simon, Peter, James, and John. And they're like, Shazam! Whoa! This is the bomb! We're here with Jesus, but there's Moses. There's Elijah. Quick, Andrew. Andrew wasn't even there. Quick, John. (laughs) Grab your cell phone. Let's get a selfie with Moses. I got to post this on Instagram. The other boys down there, they ain't going to believe it until they see it on social media, right? And if it doesn't, if, if it's not on social media, did it really take place to begin with? That's my question, right? And then all of a sudden... Jesus was transfigured and radiated the glory of God in the flesh. And then three boys were scared out of their gourd. And they heard the voice of God the Father that echoed out of heaven, thundered out of heaven, and then mugs hit the ground. They trembled, and here's what God the Father said. Because Simon Peter's like, hey, (laughs) let's just build three tents. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And God the Father said, nope. He said, this is my beloved son. Not Moses, not Elijah. Jesus is my beloved son. You hear him. When the thundering was over, they looked up from the ground and it said they saw nobody but Jesus only. And I want you to know, my dear friend, that's 
where God wants us to live. Oh, I appreciate spiritual leadership. I pray for spiritual leadership. I respect spiritual leadership, but I worship Jesus and Jesus alone. Faith Church family, let's get our eyes on Jesus. You walk with him every day. You'll be so busy and so caught up in him, you won't have time and I won't have time to put my eyes on you or your eyes on me. It's about him and him alone. Let's follow him. Until the day we draw our last breath or he calls us out of this world.